0: Welcome back to the second episode of Game Music 101. My name is Dr. Stephanie Lind, and I'm here with my research assistants, Andrew Bennett, Caitlin Sari, Brooke Spencer, and media hosts, Michelle Kasabowski,
1: and Corey Dillabo.
0: And today we're going to talk about music and video games in respect to games that feature conflict. Um, I'm going to use the term war games to talk about these, but we're actually going to look at conflicts more generally as well. We're going to talk about games where it's not necessarily you playing as a soldier or you playing as a fighter, but you basically exploring the consequences of what it means to be a civilian in wartime or what it means to fight against your government. Musically, this manifests in a number of specific ways. We'll get into more detail specifically as we examine our games and as we play you musical examples, but a few things that I'll mention up front is the idea that oftentimes things like key, like chord stability or instability, and melodic arrival can tie into our sense of how we hear the music, and that further makes a connection to how we emotionally engage with games. There's often a very subtle form of communication that's made by the game designers and sound designers in terms of having your sonic universe reflect your emotional and your narrative universe.
2: Okay, so we have a lot to talk about, obviously, in today's episode. Caitlin, why don't you start us off and tell us about the game that you looked at?
3: Yeah, so I looked at a small indie game by Lucas Pope called Papers, Please. And in this game, you play as a man with his extended family in a totalitarian police state called Arstotska, which is an ongoing political conflict with a neighboring state called Kolekia. And in this game, you're not involved in the conflict. You man a border security patrol office and you screen people as they're trying to get into Arstotska. In this game, your main focus is just to make enough money to keep your family alive and to try to get them to either live well within Stotska, to overthrow the government of Stotska, or to flee Arstotska. So it really explores the moral choices of innocence within a conflict rather than being part of an offensive or defensive
1: force. So that's Papers, Please. Uh, Dr. Lynn, what are you taking a look at?
0: I've taken a look at a game that in many ways resembles Papers, Please. It's called This War of Mine. It was released in 2014, about a year after Papers, Please. And features a similar kind of approach to taking a civilian perspective on conflict. So in This War of Mine, basically you control a house full of people who are trapped in a city during a siege in wartime. What this means is that they're unable to leave the house during daytime. So rather than actually going outside, they do things like building materials, cooking food, Uh, sleeping during the day, and then that contrasts with the activities that happen at night. At night, you have to go outside of the house in very dangerous territory to scavenge resources to keep your group alive. And in scavenging those resources, you need to make some decisions about how you're going to do that. Sometimes you can find resources just sitting outside, but other times you have to take negative actions against other civilians in order to benefit yourself. So there's really this idea of moral conflict inherent in the gameplay itself.
2: Alright, I can already guess that we're going to see a little bit of difference in the music between daytime and nighttime. Moving on to Andrew, what are you going to talk about today?
4: I looked into a completely different game than both Dr. Lin and Caitlin. I looked into Battlefield 1, which is a classic first-person shooter. The game involves playing through different campaigns in different areas of Europe and the Middle East. In each campaign, you play through different characters and complete different missions. And each of these missions involve different objectives and how you complete them. So some of them require you to pilot a plane or control a tank, as well as every campaign features an
1: element of being on foot or a foot soldier. So we already have this difference between the individual in a conflict uh, versus kind of like this big scale uh, two-sided war. Brooke, what are you taking a look at?
5: So today I'm going to look at Detroit Become Human. So this is an adventure style game that you play as three different androids. One's named Kara, who's a female, and then two male androids named Marcus and Connor. During this game, you make decisions that shape the plot of the game and how the ending is going to appear for you. And you can unlock certain endings if you complete certain tasks and basically it's a world with humans that use androids as tools and they run errands for you and do chores. They can act as nannies. So basically they act as servants. Can... Yes, yeah. The idea is that a lot of these androids are now becoming deviant or becoming more human-like because they are showing emotions. They're not following these direct orders from the humans, creating this sort of situation it's like a civil rights movement.
2: Okay, so Dr. Link, why these games this week?
0: A couple of different reasons. We selected these four games as part of our research group because I was interested in exploring the idea of games that are about war and conflict, but not necessarily first-person shooters. First-person shooters are really like the stereotype that people think of when they think of conflict games. And there's a ton of them out there, and there's a ton of really good ones. The gameplay mechanics are often about hyper-realism. They're often about getting elite weapons, about speed, stealth, but not necessarily focusing in the same kind of way on the emotional connection of the games. I was really interested with these four games to see that everyone had an emotional connection in some kind of way. And I was really interested in pursuing the idea of, well, what in the music actually gives us this emotional connection? In my game, This War of Mine, one of the big things that I noticed when listening through the music is that it was what I would describe as ambient music. It was very sparse. There was a lot of silence in the music, and there was a lot of space for it to just kind of happen in the background. And in terms of the game design itself, it very much happens just as background music the mind game doesn't actually have any spoken dialogue when there is dialogue within the game it appears in text bubbles and so we don't really have this idea in this war of mine of having a super hyper realistic setting to the game it's not meant to look like the real universe it's cartoony in a little bit um it's a two-dimensional space that we're looking at and there's really it's a different kind of gameplay than something you would see like call of duty So you're
2: talking about ambient music, and what exactly do you find within the music that's
0: been composed for this game helps
2: add to that as you're playing?
0: Yeah, it's ambient in a couple of different ways. I already mentioned the sparseness and the silence, but partly it's the instrumentation as well. Probably the easiest word that I can use to describe it is chill. There's a lot of guitar in the level pieces, the the songs that we hear while you're in your house, basically dealing with your resources. There's a lot of slow tempo happening, and it's also the pieces are very often in the minor key. And I think that's a commonality that we have actually in all four games is that there's really this association in our culture that minor key means sadness It's something that gets associated very early on in our lives. Uh, It's something we hear in film and TV and in a lot of other different genres. And so really the slow tempo combined with the minor mode is something that a lot of scholars actually reference when they talk about communicating sadness in games. One example is Catherine Isbister in her book, How Games Move Us. She goes in and she talks about how that's a component of something called choice and flow and that... Making choices gives you more flow in the gameplay, and that makes you more receptive to emotional engagement. You then hear this minor mode stuff and that puts you in the mood of being sorrowful, or feeling tragedy about something, or connecting with your characters a little bit more.
4: I absolutely see exactly what you're talking about in Battlefield. The idea that this emotion is conveyed in different ways depending on the context. For example, when you're making a push for a final ending to some sort of a campaign, the music changes from this minor mode that we talk about to something more major, something more triumphant. with that goes into that the instrumentation accompanies this idea. Specifically in Battlefield 1, the cutscenes tend to use more of the minor mode as they're more reflective and they give you more of a context as to what's happening within the game outside of the actual first-person gameplay.
3: Papers, Please is actually a little similar to This War of Mine. The gameplay has more of an ambiance to it but not in music. The game opens with this main theme, but then when you actually get into it, all of your gameplay happens with no music and just the sound effects of the people who are walking in, the sounds of the street as the door opens and closes, and this speech sound where the characters mumble incoherently to imitate speech. I have a, I
5: have a
3: So the ambiance of the gameplay setting is actually very much intentional. You're doing a very mundane task of reviewing documents and stamping the documents and receiving all sorts of documents from the people who are coming by and you have to interrogate them. It's quite intense because you have a certain amount of time in the clock and you have to get through at least 10 people or else you're going to have to start turning off heat, not being able to buy food for your family or if they get sick you can't buy medicine. So you want to go fast, but you have to go efficiently. And whenever you make a mistake and you send a person through who perhaps had hidden contraband, you hear that you've made the mistake before you see it. It'll start printing out this document that's telling you that you've made a mistake. And it just takes you right out of the sound effects of the ambiance. And you're startled by this mistake that you had no idea, or perhaps you did. But it's the silence that really brings in the gameplay experience sonically.
1: So you're talking about how silence is actually kind of used in a similar way that music might be. And you also talked about the title theme. Is there any other music that we hear in the game other than the title theme and the silence?
3: Well, there's actually only three musical tracks in the entire game. The title theme is the theme that you will hear after every single day when you're reviewing how much money you've made and where you can spend it so it's very militaristic theme that has this persistent low bass that goes from the tonic or one to the dominant five and that just constantly goes throughout the piece and all the other instruments entering gradually like they're falling in line The other two themes only happen when you reach an ending. The death theme, or we refer to it as the death theme, but you don't always die. And even when you do get sentenced to death, it's not a very graphic game. You don't see anything happen. It will tell you, here's what happens after. In this theme, it's very mysterious. Because even though you may have lost all your family members so you lost the game, or the government may have caught you doing something nefarious, it's suggesting that you should keep playing until you figure it out, until you get to a good ending. The good ending only happens when every single one of your family members live. It doesn't matter whether you overthrew the government, you were a good worker within the government, or you escaped, all it cares about is that you and your family are all safe. There is uh, an ending where you can lose your family members, but it's still considered a decent ending, but it doesn't get this victory theme. victory theme is super major and really happy and it's very conventional so there's three very very different music styles in all of them even though there's only three songs in the entire game
0: yeah I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what makes us sound happy and conventional because I mean that really boils down to what are our expectations for what constitutes happy from a musical standpoint and what our previous representations of happy are in various kinds of music and media
2: Yeah, and I think especially when we're talking about these type of games, what constitutes victory? What our expectations are for the sound of victory?
3: The victory theme is very bright, it's very syncopated, and it's quick. And the major tonality is very clear to Western audiences that it's supposed to be happy. The death theme, in contrast to the victory theme, uses tritone relationship between chords in its music which is a very dissonant interval in history, but the contrast really makes it seem much more of a victory than the other pieces of music.
0: Yeah, I think as the professional music theorist here, I'm going to talk a little bit about the effect of major and minor in Western culture. For those of you who are not really proficient in music theory, major scales and minor scales, if we're comparing them to one another, they essentially have three notes that are different. And the difference between them is that in minor scales, those notes are lowered compared to what they would be in major scales. Some scholars in music cognition and in music aesthetics actually think that this raising of the note connects to a raising of emotions. There's a lot of debate in the field about whether that's actually a legitimate observation or whether that's something we're imposing after the fact based on our own personal perspectives of this music. But really, there is this tangible idea that we can hear something being lifted or something being lowered.
2: Kayla, you're talking about in the death theme, the fact that there's this kind of ambiguity and this feeling of non-closure, really. And what I find interesting is that in the victory theme, even though it's got a bit more of kind of a sense of ending to it, it actually lacks the final cadence, right? And I'm just wondering, in that looping, is that enticing the player to actually keep going and keep trying past this game finishing?
3: That's a good question. Because in most games you need to have music that will continuously loop into infinity because you can never tell how long a person will spend in any one moment. For the victory theme, you get a very satisfying ending, and it's more cinematic in comparison to the other endings that you receive. So even though it will continuously loop until you finish reading everything and sitting through everything, you still get that finality just of the other aspects of the game. For the death theme, however, it really does contribute to a lot of it, because it's a very chromatic piece, which is very atonal, as in it doesn't have a major or minor tonality which isn't something that a lot of people listen to but that also contributes a lot to the mysterious aspect of it and it piques the players interest until they get something more satisfying.
0: Now, I think I'd like to jump in here a little bit, talking about the idea of atonality and this concept of things being unresolved, because I think that comes up in almost all of our four games, my experience of having played them. I know in this war of mine, one of the things that really struck me as I was playing the levels and I was noticing the ambient music happening in the background is that dissonance is a really prominent thing. Now, dissonance is a term that musicians use to talk about things that don't necessarily sound pleasing to the ear. We can go into that in more depth and talk about how that fits the overtone series or doesn't fit the overtone series. But from a basic perspective, we can think of dissonance and consonance as being opposites that mean stuff that doesn't sound pleasing to the ear and stuff that does sound pleasing to the ear. And in fact, a lot of Western music is structured around the difference between consonance and dissonance. There's also this element in Western music that dissonance wants to move to a consonance. We want to have this moment of tension created by the thing that does not sound pleasant, moving to a moment that is more comfortable because it moves to the thing that does sound more pleasant to the ear. And so this becomes a really interesting phenomenon and an important concept in actually creating tension in games and in music generally. In this war of mine, one of the aspects that I ended up noting through my own gameplay is that it was really, really common for the music that you hear in the house to stop on dissonant chords or to have an extra note added in that didn't fit in the chord at any given moment. It was also very common for your very first theme that you hear called someplace we call home, which is the music that you hear happening in the house as you're managing your resources, to have melodies that don't quite finish when you expect them to, or the idea that your melody finishes, but the chord progression doesn't finish at the same time. So there's this desynchronization of the melody element with the supporting chord element.
1: So we're talking about poor endings having these uh, dissonant sounds and or just overall these scary moments in conflict. And Brooke, since you mentioned Detroit, you're controlling three different characters. Do they all have their endings where you have a victory theme and a losing death theme?
5: So for my piece, actually, it was quite interesting. All three of the characters had different composers composing their music. So Philip Shepard did Kara's music and her theme, Nima Ferrara did Connor's theme, and John Paisano did Marcus's theme. These three composers all created something kind of different from each other, but I found ultimately that they kind of had the same atmospheric feeling to them, where they didn't really have this resolution or this high hopes kind of feeling. For example... Marcus, he becomes this leader of this rebellion for androids and his music you would think would be more uplifting because it's this hope of having these rights for these androids and having the ability to bring to light these problems throughout the globe and through this media. But his music actually is probably one of the more sadder themes. Think that this just really shows that there is no final win in war, there is no ultimate solution, there has to be some sort of sacrifice, and I think the music that all three of the composers are trying to portray or emulate here is that there can be a winner and there can be a loser, but at what cost does this happen?
2: So if we're talking about liberation, Andrew, I'm curious, talking about Battlefield 1, there are a couple of pieces in there that are focused around the idea of liberation. And they actually use the element of voice in them compared to some of the other tracks, which are solely instrumental. And I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that.
4: So the two examples that I can think of from Battlefield 1 are Liberame, as well as Dawn of a new time. Liberame is set to Latin text, and the actual elements of the music are that the voices that you can hear throughout the music are voice samplings. They sound almost electronically produced instead of a live performer actually singing them. Contrasting to that, Dawn of a New Time is very much focused on a solo voice aspect. So if you listen to the piece, it starts with an instrumental of a quartet of strings. And then around halfway through the piece, there is an element added of a solo voice that breaks through the texture that has already been established, which is the string quartet. The other interesting thing to note about the vocal aspect is that the text chosen, as well as the level of inflection throughout the piece, really convey the sense of emotion that is tied to this theme of liberation, as well as breaking free of conflict and resolving conflict.
2: So in these particular tracks, the texts used, were they real languages?
4: Yes, they are real languages. The first is Latin. The second, which is Dawn of New Time, is a Macedonian text, which speaks of a setting sun, but the way that it's employed in the music gives this sense of liberation or freedom.
2: That particularly interests me, thinking about both Caitlin and Dr. Lynn's games, which feature non-real languages, and it makes me wonder about the use of text and the use of the voice added to music and just what kind of impact that might have on the person
0: who's playing the game. Yeah, the interesting thing I think about both Papers, Please and This War of Mine is neither one features spoken text. The text is given as printed text on the screen. And the other thing I would point out is that both games are very low-res graphics, They're not meant to look realistic. They're actually meant to have a certain aesthetic that's 1990s games, basically, where you're not using a lot of color, you're not using a huge amount of lighting. And visually, that's actually part of the aesthetic of the game, the fact that you've got a lot of dark colors in the game of this war of mine, or in Papers, Please, you really have a very monochromatic view of your universe. It is trying to communicate something about the environment that you're in in that case. And I find that interesting because it's not just the sound now that we're dealing with, it's also the visual element. Part of it is the aspect them both being lower budget games. But partly I think it's a very intentional choice on the part of the game designers to be doing that. What's interesting to me is that's reflected musically as well. If we're contrasting this War of Mine and Papers, Please, with our other two games, Battlefield and Detroit Become Human. Battlefield and Detroit Become Human are huge budget games. They're studio games. I've mentioned this already in the podcast, but both are meant to look hyper-realistic. And both actually have a very similar soundscape. They don't sound the same in terms of their musical themes, but they have a lot of similarities in terms of instrumentation.
5: Brooke, could you maybe talk a little bit about instrumentation in Detroit Become Human? Yeah, so for the instrumentation, I mean, it varied a little bit depending on which theme we were looking at, but there really was this big orchestral sound with lots of strings. There was the piano. Actually, there was a moment in Marcus's theme where you do hear a bit of choral. It's kind of put together just like Andrews. He said he was talking about in Battlefield One, but all these combination of big orchestral. You know, it's not that eight-bit or sixteen-bit sound that you would get from something that you know Papers Please or this War of Mine would sound like. It's And Connor's theme is a bit more electronic, but it's using that more integrated technology with these bigger sounds, and there is string elements in there. Kara's theme has a cello, and I think that these elements really bring to life this sort of epicness of this story and what these characters are trying to gain from this war.
2: So you're talking about really the use of real instrumentation heavily in your game, a lot more versus kind of digitalized music. Is that right, Brooke? Yes, that's correct. I'm wondering, do you think that there's a strong element of importance to the use of real instruments for a story that is about androids becoming human?
5: I think there is a sort of significance to that, and thinking about that, one of the characters, Connor, he's this sort of, not police officer, but this man that's about the law, and he's trying to track down these deviant androids, and at the end he does have to make some sort of important choice, but his music really reflects that mechanical sound, like he has the most mechanical sounding soundtrack of them all, with those distortions in the music. And I think that because he's so part of that mechanical side and because he's trying to track down these deviants, whereas the other two androids are deviant, they have a more realistic sound. So maybe it is trying to say something about androids versus humans and becoming human and what, and what it means to them musically.
2: And overall, there's a, quite a large epic feeling yes. to the whole soundtrack. For sure.
1: Yeah, and going off of this epic orchestral sound, Andrew, I have to imagine it appears in your game because it is like this big war, two sides. You're going at it, you're running in there in first person and you're shooting your opponent down. Do you find these epic sounds?
4: Absolutely. There's an element of epic. Just It's consistent throughout the whole game of Battlefield and what contributes to it is the, the choice of instrumentation. So along with Brooks' game, The choice to add this large orchestral sound of strings, low brass, and then have these elements of focus, such as a solo voice, as a solo piano, or a solo instrument within any of the other classes, that choice gives this sense of this encapsulating sound that influences the player in an emotional sense.
2: I would also think that because your game is based off of World War I, it's simply the time period that World War I happened in history and the lack of digitalization of music at the time, that there is an element of importance to those live orchestrations as well.
4: Absolutely, having a real-life recorded sound is an element that the composers were most definitely thinking about when orchestrating the music for the game. Using an electronic sound would would not represent the level of emotion they're trying to convey through the music. The other aspect is that by using a live sound, such as flight of the pigeon, it is this disconnect between this graphic scene of warfare underneath, while the player is commanding a pigeon through the sky. And there's this absolutely amazing piano solo that's played throughout this scene. And it really highlights the difference in layers of conflict. There is something that is absolutely beautiful, just a couple of hundred feet above what's happening below in this trench, this absolutely abysmal place to be living for four years or for the duration of the conflict.
2: Dr. Lynn, I'm curious to know whether or not around the time of World War One, if there was in music history any particular emphasis on solo piano music around the same time, whether or not there's any connection with that perhaps.
0: I would say yes, but not in the same way that we see in Flight of the Pigeon. Flight of the Pigeon uses harmony that's very distinctly modern, that doesn't necessarily reflect what would have been happening in the early 1900s. But that said, the early 1900s is very much still in the window of time where the symphony was one of the major genres. This is around the time that we see pieces by Holst, for example, that we see pieces by Dvořák. See a number of north american based composers in particular coming to the forefront of the symphonic genre and the symphony is something that middle and upper class people would have gone to the first things that got recorded onto records were ultimately symphonies so we do have this connection essentially between the start of recorded music the release of records lps and this time period it's much closer in chronology i think in this particular instance But that said, I mean, what really struck me about the music of Battlefield when I was listening to it is harmonically, it's a very modern kind of sound. Andrew and I have had a number of conversations about this because he's working on a more extended paper about some of these pieces. And one of the things that we've discussed is essentially what key we're hearing things in at any given point in time. We've had this ongoing conversation in particular about whether Flight of the Pigeon and Dawn of a New Time are in a major key, a minor key or a mode. And we've had conflicting opinions about it, (laughs) but I won't say who's advocating what side. (laughs) But one of the prominent things is had this been written in the early 1900s, this wouldn't have even been a discussion. Modal music was not really as prominent as it is in things like today's pop music. They certainly would have been dealing with other styles of music back in the early 1900s. They would have been dealing with the forefront of essentially the atonal movement as well, in addition to the more consonant symphonic works. But modalism is something that at the time was really much more connected to folk music.
2: Brooke, I know in Detroit Become Human, in particular, the android Kara, she is an android that is, I guess, leading more of a silent revolution. And I'm wondering whether or not the composer has intentionally placed silence within Kara's theme when this character is on screen to kind of emphasize that same idea of silence equaling that fight as well.
5: What I mostly looked at was her theme and common things that came up was this idea of a cello and doing the cyclic theme where it's repeating over and over again like an ostinato. So an ostinato is this melodic or rhythmic pattern repeating over and over again. It's usually quite short, it's not very long. And in her theme, because it's an ostinato, it repeats throughout. It kind of sounds like, I guess, a sort of running or motion happening over top. Yeah, and I think part of why that's happening is that it's a
0: continuously rising line. You've got this idea that goes. And I think the rising aspect of that line is it's creating this reset every time, right? And it's creating this effect of never quite finishing.
5: Yeah, and I think that's what the composer was trying to get at. I mean, silence does leave these gaps for the listener to fill in, and I think that's important. But I also think some of the the reasoning for the way that this piece is rising, as well as her rising to that challenge of being more confident, and she has this young girl that she's helping to save, and I think that her motivation is driven by her, and this fight that becomes a bit bigger than just her and this young girl, and how that is portrayed in the music.
2: So, Dr. Lin, sometimes in games you have these noises that you hear. For example, in your game you might hear gunshots in the distance. You may also think at the same time though, or I should say, you may question whether or not you're actually hearing gunshots or perhaps you're thinking, is that maybe just thunder? And what I'm wondering is whether or not these sounds and the ambiguity of the sound is actually intentional by the composer to add to the suspension just like there's ambiguity in the music itself that helps to create tension. Is that done with normal sounds in the game as well?
0: Yeah, it's I would say it's definitely done with intent by the composer and it's done with music with sounds and sound effects and it's done with silence. Most games have a sound designer for that exact reason because they're thinking about the combination of how all the various elements of sound actually layer together to create an effect. And I would say in this war of mine, particularly when you're dealing with the the evening music where you're outside the house and you're in danger. Um, like you mentioned, you have this sound that you start thinking it's thunder, but then you realize partway through that it's actually gunshots and that these are getting closer in some cases. It structures in a way with the music so that you're also not always aware that it isn't music. And part of this is how we understand media. Having watched films so much, we have this concept of background music that we always hear and we start to tune it out after a while, right? Like we start to not become conscious of what it is that's happening in your background music until all of a sudden there's sometimes a recontextualization of that. Maybe you have something very dramatic happen in the music, or maybe you have something drop out, which makes the music the only thing that's prominent. In this war of mine, I would say the thing that makes it prominent is the blending of the background noises with the music and the fact that they just, they become this mesh of a single thing. And the single thing in this evening case that makes you really really uncomfortable. There's a threat of violence happening. That threat of violence is actually coupled with what I would call metaphorical violence in the instruments including these really huge dynamic swells that go really quickly and then get cut off really quickly as well. So there's this abruptness in the musical activity that goes contrary to your expectations of how music should normally be regular and smooth. So by doing that, it's actually creating a sonic identity for the place, for the characters, and for the situation. This is an idea we're actually going to explore in our next episode, which is going to be based around a concept that we call geocultures. It's the association of sound and music with a person, place, or thing.
2: Thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been Game Music 101.
1: We will. See you next time.
3: This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by Queen's University's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.